So was COP26 worth it? This is a, a going to be a, a brief summary, really, of the different angles, positive and negative, that came out of COP26. And, and I'm going to try and just summarize my thoughts on it in less than 10 minutes, which may be a challenge. So let's get stuck in. Firstly, I think just to highlight one of the previous episodes that I mentioned around the environmental impact of hosting COP and the emissions from it, I wanted to tackle that very quickly because there's been some data released from a um, report that did an analysis that hosting it generated 100,000 tonnes of CO2. Now, that sounds like quite a lot. However, in terms of Scotland, um, this is only Scotland, not the rest of the UK, that equates to about 0.2% of Scotland's emissions on an annual basis. Um, with you know the Scotland generating around twenty seven thousand sorry twenty seven thousand tons of CO two uh, a day purely from transport from cars driving around and from you know lorries moving around and all that stuff so a hundred thousand tons sounds quite a lot and it is certainly a headline grabber but in reality it's fairly minimal I did see one of the reports equate it to being the equivalent of eight thousand people um, in Scotland. The, of the the kind of annual emissions, which I think does highlight that eight thousand is an incredibly small figure, and is you know around one percent of Glasgow's actual total um, population. So overall, COP twenty six, yes, there were a lot of emissions from jets, but ultimately, actually, not that big in the in a, in the scheme of things on a Scottish level or even a UK level. So I think my previous ranting on that has been vindicated, thankfully. Um, moving on to the kind of the good and the bad of COP twenty six itself and the outcomes that come out of it. Obviously, now we've had a couple of di- couple of days to digest it. Um, just to put in context, really, in this COP, so before Copenhagen, or sorry, before Paris, um, the, the kind of pathway we were on in terms of the global warming uh, or climate change uh, changes, we're at around six degrees, and I've, I've put links into the show notes for different sources for this, but we entered into Paris at around six degrees and left on a pathway of around 3.7. Now, heading into Glasgow, we're, you know, we're on that 3.7 pathway, and we've now left uh, around 2.4, or some very optimistic analysis putting it at 1.8, based on um, if all the pledges that were made are kept to. So, again, not great, not where we need to be in terms of that 1.5, but we are edging towards that, and we are ratcheting up towards that. And that 1.5 degrees is now not being questioned at all. And that's a really big change in the way that the discussion has moved on and the narrative has changed and that even you know four or five years ago that 1.5 was being contested and saying that actually maybe two degrees is possible we're now beyond that and 1.5 is now the target that we're aiming for in terms of solutions so just to run through some of the positives that have come out of this as well biodiversity was also constantly made, uh, mentioned in terms of that uh, resolution to achieve that 1.5 rather than it just being carbon offsetting or technology there. There's been a real acknowledgement that was spread both throughout the actual uh, COP itself as well as the fringe events that I attended where that idea of diversity of uh, life was really vital for us to be able to achieve that and that was such a, a refreshing thing to see really that we're not just sat there going well actually no we can just use these coal power plant uh, and hit reverse on them and it will all be fine. There wasn't a technology-focused solution there, uh, which is broadly, I think, a positive thing. One of the main things as well to come out of this, which isn't talked about enough, that uh, I think Outrage and Optimism highlighted very well, is that, which is the podcast, which I'll link to in the, in the comments, sorry, is that the, the commitments that and the what are called NDCs, which I think is Nationally Determined Contributions, which are the kind of the... Is the meat on the bone of the actual 
uh, overall commitment that people are making and, and, and how these policies actually do turn into action, they are now being reviewed every year. Um, so the next one needs to be reviewed by 2022. And that is, that's moved from every five years. So the reason why Glasgow was seen as this massive uh, make or break moment is because of it was five years since Paris. And typically that's when these NDCs were reviewed. We're now into a situation where that's been reviewed every year. So we're going to have this acceleration, uh, hopefully, of each COP27 is now, each COP is now going to be kind of far more iterative and really deploy the pressure in a way that we've not seen before that was previously every five years, which I think is an understated change really in how we're approaching this. So COP27 should be even bigger than COP26 and COP28 will be even bigger than that and so on. And just to summarize some of the good things we have actually seen out of this COP26 that I think have been missed because the past like 24, 48 hours of the COP really overshadowed the previous two weeks of it. So we've got some clear commitments on the global level in terms of methane reductions. And those methane reductions are going to have a, a bigger impact than carbon reductions due to the way that um, it works. So methane has got a global warming potential value of 28 times that of carbon dioxide. And therefore, any savings we make on methane are far more uh, impactful than just carbon. So that's a positive. We'll see whether that does come into play or not, but um, early early doors seem to be pretty good. Secondly, in the UK context, large companies need to demonstrate their contributions to climate change um, through something called the sustainability disclosure requirements. And that includes net zero plans by 2023. So this is typically targeting large companies and large corporations. But there are two reasons why I think this is really impactful. One is because large corporations, by their very nature, work with smaller companies in terms of their transactions, and therefore that's going to uh, impact those net zero plans are going to cascade down accordingly based on that um, net kind of scope three requirement. So I won't get to the gritty of that, but change is coming for small businesses, and I think this is a system change shift. And secondly, I think the, the most important thing really is the change in language here where the companies need to demonstrate their contribution to climate change. So that's not them having to demonstrate their risk exposure to climate change or going, oh, things actually might get quite bad if we can't grow wheat because we can't make bread. This is them going, well, actually, because we're driving diesel vans, that's contributing to the fact that we can't grow wheat, which means we can't grow um, bread. So I think that contribution element is really powerful because it means that we're suddenly moving into a world where companies are having to legally be representative and um, held to account at an annual level of how they are making their own things worse. So th that's a very good thing. Um, secondly, GFANS are keeping with the cor corporate level stuff. We've got GFANS, the Glasgow Finance Alliance for Net Zero, I think, um, headed up by Mark Carney, previous Bank of England governor, and now the UN, um, I'm not sure, Envoy for Climate Change, or something, a big fancy title. That's now mobilizing around $130 trillion. Yes, that is trillion dollars of assets from pension funds, from investors, from various different parts of the world in terms of committing to net zero and moving away from fossil fuels. And I think that is, there's some very big numbers and it all does sound a bit greenwashy. But I do think that that is, again, signaling a significant shift in the way that investors are going to have to start thinking and that all these assets, assets under management are going to start having to really address with how they are exposed to climate change and how they are exposed to uh, contributing to climate change as well. I don't, I don't want to say much more than that at the minute because I think it is a little bit vague and it's a little bit fluffy. But Mark Carney has been very vocal on this and I do genuinely believe that he is going to drive quite considerable systemic changes in the finance system through this.
We'll come on to some more negatives around the finance system later, but let's keep with the positives for now. Um, so finally, again, just moving back to the UK, we've got the ban on um, new diesel and kind of petrol vans and lorries by 2035 and then 2040, which again, I think is just an, another big policy element, which sounds quite boring, but it's going to do a lot for those transport emissions in the next 20 years or so. There's also a big agreement on deforestation, which again, I, I don't know the details of it, to be honest with you, but the, the, it seems to be the way I've seen it reported, does seem to go a lot further in terms of tangible actions in a way that we've not seen yet. Um, from previous commitments on um, deforestation, it does seem to be a bit more toothy and it's got a bit more bite to it. So I'm hoping that that will uh, manifest. But again, it was by 2030, which I think is just too slow. Uh, and, and then finally, the agreement between China and the US, which kind of came out of nowhere, as an agreement to collaborate and really work together on climate change, I think is such an important one that can't be understated. Again, whether that turns into action or not, we're not sure. But ultimately, we were never going to come out of Glasgow with a 1.5 degree car, uh, pathway. No one was really expecting that. It's just impractical in the way that these international um, talks work. And also, just in terms of having an action plan, that's not really what COP26 is there for. Do remember that there are 196 different nations uh, attending COP26, all of which will be deploying these in slightly different ways. So I think there is some element here of pragmatism in terms of the fact that action isn't necessarily going to come out of it. And also, I think that with COP26, there is very little, you know, if someone, everyone came out and suddenly said, right, we're banning the use of coal from tomorrow, we're banning the use of petrol from tomorrow, and all these different quite radical things, I still think people will be saying that they don't go far enough. There isn't really a point here where you can say, oh, you went a bit too far there, we're actually overshooting and saving the world too much. So I think there is an element of pragmatism here. Just some negatives around this. So I think... Um, the main one being that in terms of finance, there is 100 billion committed to poorer nations, developing nations to help them trans transition throughout this. And that's still not been reached. And that is just such a, it's such a small amount of money on the global stage that there's no real excuse for that. And now it's been delayed by another couple of years to 2023. So that's now four or five years of delay on that money coming together, which I think is pretty poor. And, you know, things like the UK roll, uh, rolling back on their international aid commitments before we went into COP26 as well. There's a lot of messaging here where we're actually moving further away from a just transition in terms of the the, the historical carbon consumers helping um, those newer economies come through and not use coal uh, or, or kind of gas technologies or providing an alternative for that. And that is why India stepped in and said, we need to use coal in this interim while we you know develop. And it's very hard to fight against that when you've got countries like the US in the UK, who are not putting up the money to help that transition period and are not willing to help someone like India on um, fi finance to bridge that gap. So I think there is an element there where you, it's quite easy to blame China and India. But in, in reality, a lot of the blame does lie with the US as well, which um, is not surprising in terms of international geopolitics, but there we are. Um, I think there is also still not enough pressure on fossil fuels. So obviously we saw that with the, the, the coal thing. It's, this is the first time that coal and fossil fuels have been explicitly mentioned, but there's still more pressure there to be had. You know, fossil fuels still account for 91% or something of the actual greenhouse gases. So it's such a, a thing there that it needs to really be driven down. And there's just been a general lack of ambition in a just transition. However, again, some good news on that. South Africa are getting $8, billions, $8 billion in um, funding to move away from coal, coal plants as well. So 
I'm, I'm hoping that in COP27 that might work as a framework that has been in a very small way. And if we can capture that and go, well, look at this as a framework, as a framework for the just transition, can we scale this up? That might be something we see at COP27. So overall, as a quick summary, because I know I'm running over time now, this was imperfect as a as an outcome, but I think it always was going to be because getting 196 countries to have complete consensus, and you know you've got countries from Switzerland to India to the Maldives to you know various different small island states that are quite poor and don't have much clout, trying to uh, agree on the same level as someone like China who's got much more. Um, kind of financial interest here is never going to be an easy process. And I think what was agreed is, is still pretty significant. And there's some very big changes in language in there, which are very important. Uh, and the main the main thing I am optimistic about is we have moved from five-year goals to, to, to year goals. So we've gone from, you know, down to a 12-month cycle of ratcheting up those commitments, which I think is a positive thing. And more broadly, I think we I'm lacking a, a political optimism here. And I think the politics and the policies and the governments around the world just are dragging their heels considerably. But in terms of the triangle in, the, in my head that I have between where you've got the, that kind of policy, politics side, you've got the consumer in the communities, um, and then you've got the business and the corporate side as a triangle. I feel like the consumer and the community angle are very far advanced on this. And I think the business and corporate angle are also quite far advanced on this now. And they're a bit ahead of the game in terms of understanding what this pathway means for them and means for their business and means for that profit over the time in, in a way that the consumer is now pressuring as well. And now it's really that those two elements are pressuring down on the policy uh, and the policies. And the, the reason why there is such disappointment in my feeds is because everyone's gone, we know this. Why aren't you doing more? And I think that's coming from both consumers as well as businesses at a higher level. So I'm sort of optimistic there that maybe we are starting to see a change in the, um, the, the we're seeing an acceleration really in terms of the movement and that we are seeing that level of, we've moved beyond kind of the why do we need to go to net zero into the how do we get there and, and why aren't we moving quick enough, both from consumers, activists, as well as corporate entities. And whether that's lip service or not, we're still kind of navigating, but I do think there are some fairly concrete actions that are going to happen in the next two years that the UK government has kind of led on in terms of the, I can't remember what it's called now, but the greenwashing documentation they've uh, announced, as well as these corporate SDRs, which does mean that Right now, there's a lot of companies that are doing greenwashing. I think in two years' time, that's going to be something that they're going to be far more worried about and far more legally constrained by, which I think will then have positive impacts throughout the UK economy, but also then serve as a, an example to other countries and organizations to say, well, actually, you know, if we can do it, then so can you. So a small glimmer of hope there, perhaps putting my little capitalist hat on um, and taking that off. I think there is a, a real just lacking in policy from the UK government as well that could go a lot further, um, especially around fossil fuels. And that is also reflected internationally in the COP26 agreement that is there. But yeah, so very mixed messaging. But I think there are some reasons to be cheerful in there. There are some reasons for optimism. But I think there is still broadly uh, a lot of reasons to be outraged as well and just frustrated with the entire inertia of that political system to actually do anything useful. So um, have a look at some of the links I've put in the show notes because I think they will provide some further reading and just kind of some further exploration and thoughts on this that aren't just my ramblings. Um, 
but uh, overall, was COP26 worth it? I think absolutely. We are still, you know, going back to what I opened the episode with. We're now on a 2.4 degree pathway rather than a 3.7 degree pathway. And the, and we've started uh, introducing mechanisms, which should mean we can ratchet up towards that 1.5 degree pathway in the next couple of years. It wasn't enough. Was it ever going to be enough? I don't think so. I think you could leave COP26 with some extremely strong agreements and people would still be unhappy about it. So I think there needs to be some element of pragmatism here in the fact we, that we do have 196 countries in the world agreeing that coal is very bad and that we need to get away from it. And that's something we didn't have two, two or three weeks ago. So um, we're moving in the right direction. The fight's not over yet. We need to continue it and we will do. And things will only accelerate from here. So keep up the pressure, keep up the the good fight and keep doing what we can and we will get there in the end. See you soon and thank you very much for listening.